This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Oh, fuck, we're live. <laughs> I didn't even notice I pressed play. Hello, everybody. Hello. Can you dig it? My name is Sam LaCrosse. That was a late start to this week's episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. How is everybody doing today? I hope everyone's doing well. It is going to be Sunday by the time you're hearing this. I am sticking to my schedule this week, believe it or not, and recording this on a Friday night. So it will be a new month by the time this is out. So happy August. Happy end of July. Uh, the end of the summer, which means a lot of people are starting to have to think going back to class, going back to school, going back to whatever. If you're in the working world like me, you don't even know any of this fucking shit is happening anymore. So, um, I, I actually, you know, this kind of week, and I know like I just, I go on kind of a, a blurb before every time I do this. So I apologize in advance, but I've been feeling like really settled since the first time I moved down here. So for those that might be new, those who aren't really keeping up with my rants before I get into my actual content on this damn thing, um, I moved from here. So it will be August. So it'll be a little bit after, I think, two days ago. So this is the 30th. Two days ago was my two-month um, anniversary of moving from Boston to Austin, Texas, where I currently reside now. And I love it down here. The quality of life, in my opinion, is much better, especially, you know, culturally, kind of what I think I want to do with my life, how I want to, you know, live my shit out or whatever. And it's been a very, very positive transition for me. And it's taken, you know, anytime you move, especially if you move in the short term, you don't really move until like you actually settle into one place. A lot of it is just settling in. And like, so for example, I moved to Boston in June of last year. So I moved in on like June 1st, right? The day of June 1st. And I didn't really feel settled until about two months in. And when I got my promotion to move out here for my current job, I don't do this for a living, by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, I had to, I was starting to pack up two months before. So I really only was settled into living in my time in Boston for about two thirds of the time in Boston. So now that I'm hitting that inflection point now, and I finally feel settled into my new place. My new place, I'm very, very fortunate. It's very, very nice. It has a lot of things that I enjoy about it. I was just in my pool outside because it's fucking hot as shit down here. I don't know if you guys know anything about Texas, but it's fucking hot down here. And so I was just in the pool. I kind of are going up and I'm chilling out in my nice apartment where I live. All my things are here. I feel like I can finally settle in and I can breathe. And I'm feeling very, very content with a lot of things. And... Not just my living situation. My living situation is a big component of that, obviously. You have to like where you live, in my opinion. 
and you know with you know my new job is finally settling in I have people around me that support me thankfully and I'm you know meeting new people in work and even though it's virtual and all this other shit and you know I'm I'm you know going out to a pool party tomorrow so I'm getting out of my fucking hermit phase and I'm actually interacting with people for real as you know me this is a big thing for me because I fucking hate doing this shit so I'm feeling very very content and stable for the first time I felt in a very very long time probably since I um Maybe you know, maybe even past the last year. I really don't know. Even though I had met a lot of positive people in Boston, I or not like positive people, but good people, I should say. And but I wanted to go back to a time like this is. I think this is the week after this post. I wrote this a long time ago. I wrote this back in March of 2020. So this is now um, by this time this post released about 17 months ago. So this I was going through a really really rough transition in my life at this point. I was it was a very very abrupt thing that happened and I want and I just kind of stumbled on this one when I was doing like oh what am I going to read for this you know this week it's a it's an old you know archived post what am I going to do for this one and I stumbled upon this one and I haven't read this one in a very long time because it's very very hard for me to read because this is one of my deeper posts that I've you know put in out on the internet out online people can see it all this other shit and I was in therapy and I told my therapist about it and I, my therapist was well, she was a nice lady she was older, like mid, like old, late 50s, she didn't know what a fucking dating app was, all this other stuff, and this is about, you know, kind of the, a serious situation that happened, happened the first time I had serious romantic feelings for a girl, and it really kind of made me think about what kind of layers it has in relationships and our own personal psychology to them, and also I found this phenomenal picture of Drake on there, which looks like, you know, he's just, Drake is a me, a living meme anyways, and, you know, Chubbs in this picture, and if you guys know anything about, about OVO Chubbs, love that guy. And it looks like a mix of LeVar Arrington, the, the football analyst, and Lil Wayne without the tattoos behind him to the other side. So that's kind of cool to notice as well. And so if you want to read the post, uh, don't read this blog.com. It's in March, Unconditional Trust, The Importance of Unconditional Trust. But if you don't want to, and you might want to just Google a funny picture of Drake, you can just probably do that. And But anyway, here we go. So, Love Hurts. Well, n not really, but it can. But if love hurts, is it really love in the first place? This is a struggle that all of us face, especially young people who, let's face it, don't really know what love is until they come face-to-face with -face its reality. However, I'm not here to write about love. I'm here to write about something more important, the foundation of what love is built upon. If you haven't noticed from my other posts or podcasts, I don't buy into fluff, hyper self-indulgence. All that's fickle. It's cotton candy. As soon as some obese kid from school discovers that you have it, all he has to do is pour water on it to make it all go away and make himself feel better, little bastard. Too many people see the mansion, not the concrete slab that men and women toiled over for months to make it stand. Too many people see the big run broken off by the running back, not the big men in the trenches paving the way. Too many people see the slam dunk, but not the point guard setting him up with the perfect pass. Love doesn't just happen. And when it goes wrong, we tend to blame the things that truly aren't the root cause of the problem. We say our parents pushed us too hard, and that's why we don't talk to them anymore. We say that our spouse isn't supportive enough, and that's why our career aspirations fail. We say our friends put us down all the time, and that's why we aren't confident. But those aren't the true reasons. Those are just cover-ups, excuses. All of these things are simply amplified versions of one thing we don't think about often, but is absolutely necessary. And I would argue it is the building block of what love is built upon. And that thing is trust. Trust must come before love. 
Only after trust has been established may love prosper. But it also has to be deeper than that. Trust must be unconditional. It has to be. If it were not, and you could just turn trust on and off like Jonah Hill's weight, then anything amplified by trust would be turned on and off too, and that includes love. It especially includes love. That's why the title of this podcast is what it is. Unconditional love is cool and all, but it can only exist if it follows unconditional trust. The foundation of love needs to be established before love itself can follow it. Love by itself isn't enough to keep a relationship going. Much like a horse, a house by itself isn't enough to keep stable without a solid foundation under, underneath it. This concept applies not just to romance, but to friendships as well. Many people have this deluded and romanticized sense of what love means, taking Nicholas Sparks' novels and Mally's Chocolates and smoking them in a crack pipe. And if you don't know what Mally's Chocolates are, please look them up and travel to Ohio. The people are nice there. It's not just the state you fly over. Just go and fucking have some. But because love is a drug too, according to 80s potheads and current mumble rappers. The real definition for love is not romanticized at all. The definition of the word love, according to the dictionary, is, quote, Strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties, end quote. Nowhere in that definition does it say anything about romance, or family for that matter. I know a lot of people who don't love their families. I don't love some members of my family. And that's okay, because that's not what's supposed, what love is supposed to be. Love is a choice that is first bound by unconditional trust. If the trust is not there, there is no way that love can be either. This article is meant to dive deep into the balance between trust and love, how to foster trust, how to solve our relationship problems using a trust-first view, and how to structure those relationships to create deeper bonds based upon it. So grab whatever box wine the coronavirus vultures have left for you. Okay, this is during the coronavirus, so there was a bunch of shit. that. Uh, this is during the hoarding phase. This is actually pretty funny. Um, so just play Trust Issues by Drake or Wicked Games by the weekend, and then come back to this podcast if you really want to. That was a horribly rough transition. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so, I'm sure some old person has told you the old adage, trust is gained in drops and lost in buckets. Well, I'm here to confirm with and conform to those old, pe old people that yes, it is indeed true. The adage holds because trust is not an easy thing to create. In fact, it's damn hard. A lot of people dealing with mental health issues have those issues because of trust issues, I would, I would argue. I think it's the primary reason for the reason for our shaky foundation for others. Speaking of foundations, let's go back to the dictionary to find the concrete definition. Yes, reader, holy fuck. Again, we're going back to the dictionary. Listener, in this case. The definition for trust, according to the dictionary, is, quote, assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something, dependence on something for the future, end quote. However, I think that there is confusion with this word and another word that people don't often realize. That word is faith. The definition of faith is, quote, allegiance to, firm belief in something where there is no proof, end quote. And the difference between the two is important. A great example of this difference comes from an unlikely source, but it's one of the most profound statements I've heard in some time. In 2016, the Flatbush Zombies were going around the country being interviewed by their about their debut album 3001, A Laced Odyssey. As an independent rap group who had no gigantic record label behind them, their album was performing well and Rap Radar had them on to talk about the success of their album, among other topics. About halfway into the interview, one of the hosts asked one of the zombies, Eric Ark Elliott, about a song called R.I.P. CD, a song about, you guessed it, the death of CDs, due to an unprecedented increase in streaming services such as Apple Music and Spotify. 
The host wondered why the zombies, as an independent group, were not following the common trend of releasing purely on streaming services and were still pumping on a very high volume of physical copies, especially without the financing of groups signed to major record labels. Elliot went on to explain that he couldn't trust the streaming services to take care of the music. He furthered his explanation by saying if you give up total control of your work to someone, what, hap what happens if they don't like it? What happens if they just decide a lyric is offensive and delete the entire project? How could you trust something, someone to re reciprocate that same level of trust? And the answer is, oftentimes, you, you just can't. It's very hard and very rare to find. So, his and the zombie's solution was to make both digital and physical copies so that their work could never be permanently lost, washed away by something that was out of their control. In other words, they had faith that the streaming services wouldn't do that, but they didn't have total trust that they wouldn't either. This concept of faith can be applied in our daily lives in more ways than we could even realize. These are things like clean water, electricity, or cars to run efficiently, kombucha to be readily, readily available at the supermarkets, as the coronavirus has con had confirmed in that day and age. When those things are removed, we wouldn't know what to do, at least for a minute, and we didn't know what to do at that time. We would freeze. Think about Flint, Michigan, when their water crisis happened. People who get hit by natural disasters and rip their electricity away from them. You when your car breaks down. A liberal arts student studying environmental psychology and biogender ethics when she doesn't have her fucking kombucha ready available. They freeze, at least temporarily. Now let's apply this concept to our personal lives. With the things I had previously named, they are naturally impermanent. Eventually water will be purified, your electricity will turn on, your car will be fixed, and the biogender ethics student will get her kombucha. Life will go on. However, in relationships, particularly romantic ones, that is not so simply regained. When the proverbial electricity goes out in a relationship, it is not easily repaired. It is very hard to duplicate. That is trust, not faith. Faith can lead to trust, but trust cannot lead to faith. One must come before the, before the other. The Flatbush zombies needed to have faith in streaming services before they could trust them with their work. A friend needs to have faith in another friend that they will keep their secret before they trust them with that secret. A husband needs to have faith that his wife will acknowledge a sexual intimacy before he can trust her with his sexual intimacy. Unlike faith, trust is naturally a permanent thing. When we trust someone, we really nail down that relationship as something we can hold near and dear to us. With faith, it doesn't necessarily work that way. If we have faith that a girl at a bar is going to reciprocate our attraction and she doesn't, it will be okay. There are lots of other girls in that bar. You had no real attachment to that girl, so life can go on. But if you're in a two-year trust-bound relationship with a girl and she doesn't reciprocate your attraction, things might not be okay. There are other girls out there, but they don't have what she has. She has your trust. Other girls do not. It's very hard to be attached to something so much that you become dependent upon it. In fact, for most of us living in America, we fail to notice the things we, entrust, we trust so intensely. They become so pounded into our brains that when something does come in their path to remove them, we don't know what to do. Although, unlike faith, it's very hard for us to recover. We've already stated that trust and faith can be misconstrued, especially when we think in terms of romantic feelings. Most people believe faith and trust can be the same thing, and as we've already covered, they are not, so that leads to them believing that both can lead to love. This is another topic of confusion for a lot of people, and it's with the confusion of another word that people confuse with the word love with. Lust. And the definition for lust is, quote, an intense longing, eagerness, personal inclination, end quote. Like faith, lust can be fleeting. 
It doesn't need to be cultivated or worked on. It just simply is. Lust can be permeated into every situation, but rarely does that lust ever bloom into love. Ask any guy in a bar, they'll tell you the exact same thing. However, without trust, love cannot prosper. You need to work on trust every day, and you need to work on love every day. It's not a sometimes thing. There is no reset button. There aren't a lot of do-overs. You can lust after multiple people, but you would act and sound a fool if you went out to every person of the opposite sex that you only lusted after and told them that you love them after seeing them outside two whiskey and cokes deep from the side of a bar. Faith leads to lust much like trust leads to love. The biggest reason for this is that faith, like lust, is very primal at its core. Like I've said before, and I promise the post is coming, and it's still coming, I still haven't written this one actually, human beings are much more de-evolved than we give ourselves credit for. It's relatively easy and painless to have faith in something, and it's relatively easy and painless to lust over something. As humans, we take the path of least resistance to the thing that gives us the most instant gratification. It's easy to see something on the surface level that we like and use it for our personal gain in the moment. That's why this relationship works. They both are, at their core, the same thing. I mean, shit, look at Charles Manson and Jim Jones. Think there was a little bit lack of proof in those things that those dudes did and convinced people to do? Or are they just two guys who wanted to drink Kool-Aid while talking about racial superiority? You decide, although, please, for fuck's sake, decide wisely. That's why there's a difference, between people for pe difference for people between a cult and, re and a religion. One fosters faith and lust, the others fosters trust and love, at least to most people. I'm navigating the waters currently myself, and I still am, as I talked about last week, but I think there's a big difference between putting your life in the hands of an all-powerful entity rather than some dude pretending to be one while strung out on a combination of bath salt, shrooms, and Viagra. Again, just my opinion there. Okay, so we've gone over the faith, trust, and love-lust dynamics. Now that we have that knowledge, you're done for the day. Welcome to college. No, we're, no, we're, just, we're not doing that. We're actually going to get something out of the inapplicable theory I just wrote above. With that being said, let's get into the three topics I mentioned in my intro. How to foster trust, structure relationships on them, and use them to solve problems within our relationships to cultivate love within them. I will explain the process of each one, and tie it with a personal example to show how it plays out in different ways of life and where it's massively fucked me from both sides of the relationship. No tears, please. I promise it's not that interesting. To you, probably. It is to me, but not to you. The way I see it, there are three personality traits that are absolutely essential to accomplishing all the things above, which indirectly lead to three sub-traits derived from them. Authenticity, which leads to acceptance. Honesty, which leads to accountability. And vulnerability, which leads to self-awareness. The definition for authenticity is, quote, worthy of acceptance or belief as conforming to or based on fact, end quote. Notice the word acceptance is located within the definition of the word I derived from it earlier, but we'll get to that later. When you're authentically yourself and don't try to put up a front and be someone you're not, you by instinct show someone who, they, who you really are. When you are yourself consistently, you begin to accept who you are as a person. This, auth this authenticity, which leads to acceptance, projects an aura of confidence and ease to people around you, which will allow them to therefore let their guards down and they start being authentic and therefore accepting of themselves. In being authentic, you therefore present yourself as you are and what you are okay with. This is crucial in developing boundaries, which we as a generation are the equivalent to the dog shit in your backyard and implementing. 
We suck at it. We don't know how to define them in most cases, myself included. However, if you're truly being authentic, these will develop naturally and will lead to that person to accept those boundaries and to trust you, therefore, by opening you up to their boundaries. The definition for honesty is, quote, adherence to the facts, sincerity, end quote. A lot of confusion comes from the difference between authenticity and honesty, so let me clear that up as well. The difference between the two is that authenticity is the quality of being genuine, while honesty is being honorable and decent. In other words, when you're authentic, you are genuine about who you are, and when you're honest, you're being accountable for how you present your genuine self to the world. Ah, there's that word accountable. Funny, the word I said derived from honesty. Well, it's true to all you skeptics out there. When you adhere to the facts about yourself and what your makeup is, and are sincere about presenting them to people, they will begin to see that you carry yourself in a way that is admirable and respectful. No one wants to hang around people that are dicks, except for some women in high school and college, believe it or sorry. Believe it or, believe it or not. Sorry, dads. So in accepting this personality trait, you will therefore show people that you are not a dick, and they will become open to trusting you. The definition for vulnerability is, quote, capable of being emotionally wounded, attacked, or damaged. End quote. The dictionary also mentions physical vulnerability, such as getting shot or stabbed, and while it's very fun to talk about, we're going to stick to the touchy-feely shit for now. When you're vulnerable in relationships, you allow yourself to be exposed to attacks from people about your flaws and weaknesses. This is a tough thing to do, especially for men. That's why it's such a desirable quality for women to find in a man, because we lack it, severely. However, when you allow yourself to open up emotionally, you allow yourself to be seen by yourself for who you really are, naked in the wind with a shit ton of baggage in your underwear at your ankles. When you don't hide your flaws, insecurities, and weaknesses, you develop self-awareness, the trait which I personally find to be the most valuable a person can possess. When you're self-aware, you know what you're good at and also what you suck at, and you're open about confronting both of them. When people see that you're not hiding from your own issues, they become more open to sharing theirs, and they become opening to, therefore, trusting you. These three issues must be absolutely aligned and in place in order for unconditional trust to be fostered. They must be practiced consistently, and you must be willing to call the other person on them when they are not being paid proper attention to. If one is off, you are not trusted in that area. If you are not trusted in that area, then your overall trust is not unconditional, and therefore love cannot be properly fo formed. The most common area where people see these three groupings being displayed in an area they don't think about, unconditional, remember, is music. A huge reason most people, especially when they're young, become invested in music is because they feel like they can trust it. They don't have a personal relationship with whomever the artist is, most likely, but they do have a relationship. People listen to music because they identify with and understand what the artist is talking about. They identify with people due to a shared authenticity which automatically opens, up, opens you up for the boundaries that you yourself might not know exist. They present themselves with genuine honesty, at least the non-frauds do, and believe me, there are a lot of frauds out there, and their fans hold them accountable to it. And they are vulnerable in the fact that they are presenting themselves everything about themselves to the world and are, again, the good ones, self-aware about them. I listen to the Beast Coast because they openly talk about depression being low and pessimistic emotions, all of which I've had way too many. They help teach me how to flip the script, acknowledge them, and move forward to create a better, better version of myself. I listen to her because I have a lot of female friends, and I'm sensitive to their issues, and I'm curious about knowing more about women's issues as a whole. I find it fascinating. I listen to Tyler, the creator, because he presented himself authentic authentically at every step of his transformation, 
and gave me the confidence to start expressing my own transformation as such in mediums like this. The list go on with movies, authors, bloggers, not self-righteous at all here, and others. And like I promised, I'm about to get real fucking personal, so here we go. Not being the most confident guy around women, I use a lot of dating apps. Well, I used to use a lot of dating apps. I only use one now. I was in Pittsburgh for the summer of my after my junior year and before my senior year in college for an internship and wanted to get around and explore what the women of the Steel City had to offer. I was on Hinge one night, which is the, still the app I use. Highly recommend. It's probably the best one out there, in my opinion. And ended up matching with this girl, who was very fun to talk to and very pretty. Now I'm sure 100% of the young people can agree that we're more confident behind a screen than we are in person. Thanks, Internet, you fucking jerk, Joe Pesci voice. <laughs> that fa I love him. That fact coupled with the fact that I had nothing to lose led me to one realization. I had to go balls to the wall. I didn't hold back my humor. I let her know about what I cared about and what I thought was, stu to I, what I thought was stupid to care about. I talked shit about my Browns over her hometown Pittsburgh Steelers, even though every Browns fan in the world knows that's a losing proposition 99.998% of the time up until last year. And you know what? She enjoyed it. And she came back at me with stuff that, that she thought was funny and what she cared about and didn't care about and how she basically equated my Browns to the roadkill outside of her apartment. It was awesome. This display of authenticity and acceptance led to us both being open to trusting one another right away. We agreed to meet up for dinner at my apartment. I said I would cook and we would hang out afterwards. So, being the chivalrous gentleman I was, my dating coach that I use on the internet says so, okay? I cooked her dinner, and she came over to eat. Building on the accountability I displayed, I portrayed myself exactly how I was over the internet. I was honest about how I wanted myself to be seen by her, and be seen by myself. And you know what? She enjoyed that too. She, in return, displayed honesty to me, and held herself accountable to that honesty because she knew that she had my trust over the interactions we had over the app and for a little bit in person. This display of honesty and accountability led us both to further solidifying our trust in one another. The date went well, after the date went well, and me agreed to keep talking, even though we had met on the last week of my internship. I was scheduled to go home in the, st in the next couple of days before I went back for my senior year of college. Now, for most people, that would be just a stereotypical dating app thing. We would have a date, have fun afterwards, and then gradually stop talking to each other after. But that didn't happen here. We had tackled the first two, two keys and sub-keys of trust, and were beginning to build upon the third one. As we kept talking, we naturally began to shift away from the superficial and into the more personal. I helped her with her issues, and she forced me to open up with mine. Remember the whole, I'm a dude and don't want to be vulnerable thing. Yeah, that, that didn't fly with her. She forced me to be vulnerable about the things I sucked at and didn't want to confront, and that led me to be being more self-aware. And I did the same with her. We pushed one another to open up about our flaws and to work to fix them. This display of our vulnerability and self-awareness set our trust in one another in stone. Our trust had become unconditional. Or at least I thought. So remember when I said that unconditional trust inevitably leads to unconditional love? Well, it did here. We loved each other. And eventually we admitted as much. But we didn't realize it until shit hit the fan. Because we forgot the most important aforementioned element of unconditional trust, and I'll get to that part later. One big problem with the last paragraph is that we didn't admit we had gotten to the quote, love stage yet. We just acted like we were friends, friends without feelings, not romantically involved at all. We were able to see other people, her more often than me, because of her overall great everything. And we talked to each other constantly. We were best friends. I never felt more closest with someone in my entire life. Not my brother, my parents, my sister, my grandparents, anyone. 
We talked about everything. Nothing was off limits. It was great. Until it wasn't. Since we didn't acknowledge the whole love situation, things soon began to get awkward and uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether she was a friend or more than a friend. It tied my head into a pretzel. I had never been more confused in my entire life. So much so that it's still fucking with my head. To, well, not this was written again back in March 2020. I'm, I'm over the situation by now. And I've said I was over it numerous times before, and I was really not. I was just trying to tell myself and lying to myself about that. But I'm, I'm over it now. Pretty Yes, I'm over it now. Okay. So after, after winter break of that past, the winter break after the past summer, we decided we were going to work towards, towards being friends. No romantic contact. Nothing. However, the girl kept occasionally prodding me with romantic signs. Me, thinking I was being nice, just shoved them to the side, thinking nothing of it. However, one night, she caught me when I was in a really bad state and decided to act on impulse to rekindle temporary romance. I gave in, and everything was well. Until it wasn't. I woke up the next day to work out and felt incredibly hurt. Violated. I wanted to go to the bathroom in the weight room and cry several times during my workout, and I almost did. My trust with her had been totally shattered. Gained in drops and lost in buckets, remember? I couldn't figure out why I felt the way I felt until I talked with my therapist about it later in the week. Here's where that forgotten element of trust I talked about comes in. I had not put up firm boundaries. At all. I was putting all the blame on her, but I deserved blame as well for not setting firm boundaries and lines she could not cross. It was on me as much as her that this incident happened. Actually, more so on me, as she did not know what lines she sure should not have crossed because they didn't name them. As a result, our relationship took a significant hit. And it never recovered. We tried to work it out for about a year after, and it just, it, it just never worked. And it was very toxic, and you know, a lot of bad shit happened. You, you know, typical situationships. So, our unconditional trust had not been formed properly, and this deteriorated around everything it touched. Lost in buckets, gained in drops. But that's life, I guess. Our hardest lessons we have to learn are usually the toughest to stomach. Almost up to this point in my life, I had consistently looked for a relationship. And for the longest time, people couldn't understand why. They would say that I didn't need someone to complete me, that I needed to be okay with being myself, etc., that I didn't need to define me. But those people weren't listening, and I wasn't either. I wasn't searching for validation. I was searching for trust. I don't trust a lot of people for a variety of reasons, and let me tell you, it's not a fun place to be at all. It's actually probably the worst place you can be, and unfortunately, I'm sure some of you can attest to this point. I've always believed that to find solace, you need to be in a relationship. But I had thought that for the wrong reason. I thought love was the source of fulfillment. But in reality, it is trust. Because as we have proven, there cannot be trust without love without trust. And within trust, you will find solace. Don't seek love. Seek trust. The worst place you can be is where you feel that you cannot trust anyone. Follow the keys I outlined and put yourself in a position to get, give and receive trust. But this begs the question. If we don't trust a person, shouldn't that mean that we don't love that person? Something to think about. Okay, well, that was depressing. So I hope you guys got something out of that. I still think it's a very, very 
influential posts that I've had personally to write. So I'll leave you guys to that. Enjoy your weekend. Own the day. Open your mind. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?